The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. This is Steve Orlands, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and today I'm joined by Chang Li. Chung Lee is Director and Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution's John L. Thornton China Center. He's also an old friend and a director of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. He has recently authored a book called Chinese Politics in the Xi Jinping Era, Reassessing Collective Leadership. I have just completed it, and I should say to all our listeners that it is a must read. It is a data-driven analysis of what is going on in China. There is so much speculation and so little data that this really fills an incredible gap. My first question is, I assume that you chose this publication date because of the coming 19th Party com uh, Congress. Is that right? <laughs> well, uh, yes, timing is always important. Uh, I basically uh, wrote a book every five years. This is go with the you know time cycle of the leadership change, because there will be a lot of attention, and there are a lot of new background we should pay attention, and a lot of new players uh, start to emerge. So for that reason, I, I think you are right that uh, I certainly time this book at this critical moment, try to help outside the world to understand Chinese elite politics and have accurate understanding and the strengths and the weaknesses of Chinese political system. And also uh, try to identify um, uh, some of the issues and also uh, uh, the candidates for the Power Bureau Standing Committee. Hmm. But uh, besides that, I also wanted to look at the, the overall political landscape and also policy implications. And policy implications not only domestic politics, but also uh, for foreign relations. What do you want the reader to take away? Well, I said first, uh, I think that we should uh, um, understand uh, China is no democracy. But that not necessarily mean that the Chinese leadership is a monolithic group with people who have the similar ideas, same ideas, and same views, same you know, ideology, same policy. No, I think they are divided just like us, like Americans. We have two major parties. Even within a party, we have different factions. This is exactly what happened in China. Although uh, it's uh, factional politics are not legitimate, nevertheless, people like a taxi driver will tell you which leader belongs to which faction. And this is largely uh, determined by who promote you and therefore your loyalty will go with that person or that faction or that coalition. So this is uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, things I want to share with the readership. How different is that really from an American political leader? Don't we, or even an American business leader, don't we promote those? Uh, don't, aren't those who we promote loyal to us? Aren't those that we've worked with those who we promote. So how different really is it? Uh, well, I mean, as, uh, previously we always emphasize differences. Sounds like we, they, we democracy, they are not. And this is also people 
uh, tend to think that the Chinese political system is so opaque, lack of transparency. But it's only to a certain degree, you know, ironically, you look at our election, especially more recent election, you know, there are a lot of problems. It's probably the least civilized uh, 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 election campaign uh, uh, for many decades. And uh, so we should have certain, uh, you know, kind of humbleness when we look at the political system. But you are absolutely right that we talk about human society, we talk about human beings, human nature. In that regard, it's quite similar. The difference is that we establish a political institution, uh, democracy, election, reg, uh, with certain uh, you know, kind of expectation, with also the real election, the competition. The Chinese system is still one party system, and but within the party has two coalitions. This is the theory I developed about 10 to 15 years ago, which I call one party, two coalitions. Right. Uh, uh, really borrowing Deng Xiaoping's famous uh, phrase, one country, two systems. Now, uh, in that uh, context, China, Chinese leaders are largely selected rather than the United States system. Are elected. But ironically, Chinese system has a very high degree uh, or, or you know, turnover rate, and the circulation of Chinese elites are much faster than our congressmen, our governors, our executive uh, branch leaders. And so, uh, my. Yeah, but you serve three or four years as a governor and then you move into a Central, uh, central government role, well, something, could you mean that pay. kind of turnover. Well, but it's, it's not a turnover in the sense that they're moved out well, of it's government. Moved, uh, it's both, actually it's moved out as well. Now in terms of governance, uh, tenure on average, now actually it's 1.4 you know, year on average, every governor's, I mean this uh, last year. Really? Yeah, and previously it's a 2.5, this is very short stat, turnover. Stat? Now, yes. And uh, I will show the data uh, uh, in the book, actually, and already yeah. show, but I will show also in the presentation uh, uh, later on. Now, but what I said, uh, the turnover rate is the central committee. This is uh, uh, right. every five years, China has the new central committee. But the, the new members constitute, on average, since 1982, over the past 35 years, on average, 62% of Central committee members are new, mm -hmm. so it's really not just a rotated job, but rather right. that because if you want to have a political future, you should be in that central committee. Without the central committee membership, you cannot be power bureau. You cannot be power bureau standing committee. So this high rate uh, in the circulation rate reflects the dynamics uh, of the Chinese political system. Probably help us to explain why Communist Party in China survive. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's because a very open dynamic. Door. Yes, yeah. because open door for competition and not so that the, the average person stand. serves one term on the the average central committee member serves one term. Correct. You right. know, uh, of course, this is uh, not included those from alternate members move to the four members. This is uh, uh, if we uh, count that factor, probably it's about uh, forty-five to fifty percent of turnover rate, but it's still much faster than our congressmen. You yes. look at the senator, look at the congressman, on average four years, probably less than 20%. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, what surprised you most in your research? What, what changed, you know, you went in obviously knowing the system quite well. Is there anything in the research that kind of you went, wow, well, that's something I didn't expect? Well, it's, um, I constantly, uh, you know, impress 
that the Chinese Communist uh, uh, Party, they could fix their problems. Now, just for example, Boshila incident, uh, which happened four years ago on the eve of the 18th Party Congress. That uh, scandal certainly revealed all the problems in the Chinese political system. And following that, there's a Lin Jihua scandal. This is uh, Hu Jintao, chief of staff. On the eve of the 18th Party Congress, uh, there was an incident, Red Ferrari car incident, killed uh, Lin Jihua's son. Then he used the bodyguard and tried to cover up that story, so it became a scandal itself. There was a, a real competition. And also, at that time, the corruption is out of control. But what surprised him the most, the party leadership actually fixed that problem. Xi Jinping rise to the occasion with his very strong anti-corruption campaign to uplift the public confidence of the party. They are very, very the public is very, very critical of the Communist Party. This party is really uh, uh, beset with the uh, rampant corruption, abuse of power, and uh, but ironically, you think, he, you think he's fixed it? Well. For time being, yes, and he already. You think the uh, public views this as fixed? The public in China. Well, it's a uh, certainly. In my book, I argue Xi Jinping consolidated his power, but more importantly, he saved the Chinese Communist Party at least for time being. Now we do not know uh, that the, uh, uh, how long could last. Actually, Communist Party itself now acknowledge this. This is they are only the ruling party for the time being does not guarantee they will be permanent party. They acknowledge that. But the question is, uh, I, you know, how long they can stay in power? My sense is I do not see the scenario some of my American colleagues you know, uh, uh, believe that the Communist Party's day is numbered. I do not see at this moment. Right. I think that kind of assessment could lead to some wrong conclusion and for our policy maker. Mm -hmm. One of the I mean, again, I love the data in the book. One of the pieces of data which I'd been searching for, and I didn't know you'd already researched it, was the percentage of Central Committee members who have studied abroad. And you have this terrific chart, which I've looked for and didn't know you already yeah. had it, yeah. which is the percentage of foreign educated Central Committee members, mm -hmm. and you look at you have mm -hmm. the 16th, where it's 6.2 percent. This mm -hmm. is both full members mm -hmm. and, and, and alternate members. Then in 17th, it goes to 10.5. Then the 18th, it's almost 15. Mm -hmm. It's 14.6. Mm -hmm. We've seen a campaign about Western influence mm -hmm. and the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party appears to be concerned about Western influence. What is the number going to be in the 19th Party Congress, and is this anti-Western influence campaign going to affect that number? No, it will not affect that number. Actually, the number will further increase. And uh, Xi Jinping uh, made a... Uh, at some, at some such a rapid rate, it means well, it will go close to 20% if uh, it continues. Uh, at this rate, it would go to about 19%. Yeah, probably it's uh, somewhere between 17 to 20%, this is our estimate. There's some strict definition about the Western trend returnees. Basically, they should study overseas for at least one year. Right, as a business your doctor. definition. Yes, right. but this is also definition the Chinese adopt. And some of them are degree holders. But if you look at Xi Jinping's financial team, it's really surrounded by uh, Western trend uh, returnees, uh, including Liu He, Fang Xinghai, and um, 
uh, uh, many others, and uh, also the the party secretary of Henan. Um, uh, he was a visiting scholar at uh, 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 Princeton for a year, and Xi Jinping's best friend, his roommate uh, at uh, Tsinghua, also served as a visiting scholar at the Stanford University for mm -hmm. two years. So uh, he certainly used them, and Xi Jinping also said that China should adopt the Western-style revolving door of syntax. So again, this is paradoxical. I mean, what you describe that is certainly true. There's a, a serious concern about the Western influence and uh, of conspiracy, but uh, paradoxically, uh, Chinese leadership also want to recruit more returnees to the party leadership because the door is always open. I think the the number will increase, but this raises a new question: uh, the 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 relationship between domestic trend and the foreign trend. The Chinese terms called the hai gui and the tu bie. Foreign trend is called sea turtles, mm. and domestic trend they call the land turtles. Chinese translation is to be their relationship is could be very very interesting uh, in the years to come. Now in the final chapter, you talk a lot about influence groups, uh, especially the middle class, and you you spend a few pages talking about uh, legal experts. Um, this book was written before the head of the Supreme Court said, we oppose judicial independence. And some of the legal experts you talk about were advocating judicial independence. Do you still hold to the theory that they're having great influence? Oh, of course. That, uh, uh, because uh, uh, under Xi Jinping's leadership, the Chinese Communist Party, the first time in its history, devoted one uh, platinum uh, on the issue of legal development, the fourth platinum. The fourth platinum. Right. Also, the um, uh, at the same time, you see the rise of legally trained uh, leaders, and uh, in the field of you know uh, Chinese, a lot of them actually got a law degree, and of course you should make uh, be careful. Some of the law degree actually is about the party history or, or Marxism. Uh, but some of them are really solid law degree, and uh, some of them also practice as lawyers and court, uh, court judges and etc. But here, I would have emphasized, a country's journey to constitutionalism uh, will not be easy. And uh, in Great Britain, as we know, it took several centuries. In the United States, several many decades, we are still doing a lot of improvement. And we continue to face some civil civil rights, uh, you know, issues. So it's it's not fair to expect China will become a truly law governed constitution, uh, 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 constitutional, uh, you know, a kind of a political uh, uh, system within three or four years. It will not be easy. But as long as leadership, not against the rule of law, and in in you know the public speech. And I think the door will be open. And uh, let me also mention that I uh, edited a book by a law professor at, uh, at uh, Beida, He Weifang. Uh, this is actually uh, five years ago, four or five years ago. At the time that in the book was, uh, you know, he was writing, he basically challenged three people, Wang Lijun, Bo Xilai, Zhou Yongkang. They are all in power. <laughs> but when the book published, two of them arrested so we don't come is in trouble, but now we know that uh, I mean they they are all you can argue uh, in jail. It it so worked. that tells you, give you a certain degree of confidence, that uh, even in a repressive country, 
that some scholars still have the room push for rule of law. And the book was published by Brookings uh, Press. Uh, the, uh, the title is In the Name of Justice. So again, this gives me some confidence, some hope about China's uh, you know, uh, 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 prospect for rule of law. Again, it will not be easy. I fully understand that uh, human rights lawyers are in a difficult situation, but uh, that uh, what the history will unfold is that uh, so long as you are right side of the history, that uh, we will make solid progress in this area. So I'm not completely pessimistic, but I understand the difficult period that, uh, that the human rights lawyers are confronting. But at the same time, you know, we can also see there's some very solid progress. My colleague, uh, James Horsley, just wrote an article talk about uh, the legal domain. There's a right. fascinating development uh, uh, going on. So again, China is paradox of hope and fear in that area, which is particularly evident. You have obviously, in compiling this research, you, and the book talks a lot about the people surrounding Xi and, and Xi Jinping himself. So you have probably more insight than virtually anyone in America. How do you think he and those surrounding him are reacting to Donald Trump? Well, uh, Donald Trump was a surprise, not for Americans, but also to foreigners. They, foreigners could not vote. I mean, only just, uh, just American can vote. They were absolutely uh, surprised. But um, uh, I think that uh, uh, it was a challenge when uh, you have a president, you have uh, the, uh, the new president, his team, the Chinese are very unfamiliar with. At the same time, that. Uh, 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 Japanese uh, Prime Minister Abe met with him uh, just a few days uh, before he, uh, you know, he was elected. So you can see tremendous pressure on China uh, on that kind of unknown situation. Because since 19, early 1970s, the Chinese leaders, there are always there's many people, whether Republican, Democrat, they can contact with, you know, at least at the 100, maybe even more people in the capital level, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the deputy secretary level, and etc. But all of a sudden, when Donald Trump came to power, they basically have difficult who to call. Right. And so, of course, they now probably they, they overcome that period and they establish some relationship. But of course, that, uh, they are very unfamiliar with the way Donald Trump governed the United States. And this is the same, same challenge for Americans and for other country leaders. So that in that regard, it's not unique. But what it surprised me is China did not overreact, at least so far. They are quiet. They wanted to see what's going on. And they probably believe if you overreact at the moment, it's counterproductive. And so I think Xi Jinping has some leverage because the recent changes, the problems about, the, about the Donald Trump's challenge to the one, you know, one China policy, and it's all these things caused by Donald Trump, not by Chinese leaders. Right. So Xi Jinping may have some leverage. Yes, President Donald Trump wants change. For China at the moment, particularly on the eve of the 19th Party Congress, they may want stability. You see that gap, that tension. But that could unfold in the advantage of Xi Jinping. And also Xi Jinping now, particularly in his speech at Davos, Sounds like China want to also fill in the gap in terms of leadership vacuum. Leader, yep. And of course, China has been cautious. They don't want to move too fast, but at least that 
it's opportunity for them. Xi Jinping certainly will play around in his uh, uh, favor. Today I've been joined by Dr. Cheng Li, the author of Chinese Politics in the Xi Jinping Era, Reassessing Collective Leadership. As I started off the program, it is a must read, and the discussion I have just had with Cheng Li gives you a taste of what this book is, and I strongly urge you to have the full meal. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I'm very honored.